This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Good morning, Word of Grace. Glad you came to church today. Man, we have been in this series called Contend, where we have been learning not just what we believe, but why we believe it. I grew up in the church, and I was one of those kids that my family always took me to church every time that the doors were open. If there was a window washing at the church, we had front row seats because it was something going on at church. They were replacing the carpet. We were there. And that's how I grew up. Even though my parents weren't pastors, um, I did grow up with my parents instilling in me a love for the church. But in doing that, I heard a lot of things in church. And because I knew those things, I thought I believed those things. And how many of you know that knowing something and believing it are two different things? And not just knowing it and not just believing it, but knowing why I believe it. Why do I believe it? Can I stand on this with conviction? I mean, can I really stand for it when the pressures and the weight of this world want to try to steal from me or rob from me or try to intimidate what I believe. So I don't need to know just what I believe. I need to know why I believe it. So it runs much deeper than just a head knowledge. It needs to be a conviction of our heart. That's what we've been doing throughout this whole series is really shoring up the foundation of our heart of not just what we believe, but why you and I believe it. Why we gather to worship God, why we gather here, why we read His Word, why we pray, all those different things. Why do we do those things? Why do we believe it? Because a lot of times we can grow up hearing something and we can grow up experiencing something and our whole foundation for why we believe what we believe is based on what we've experienced or what we've been exposed to or what somebody else told us. And if that's the foundation of our beliefs, when the right storm comes your way, it's going to shake that foundation because it's not a solid foundation. It's going to cause you to doubt. It's going to cause you to question. It's going to cause you to go, well, you know, I don't really know because culture is saying this and, you know, I, I don't know why I believe what I believe. If we base what we believe off of what's popular, or if we base what we believe off of what is accepted culturally, or if we base what we believe off of what we've experienced, the Bible says it like this, that we're basing our lives, our foundation, on shifting, sinking sand. Because culture changes, people change, our emotions, our feelings, our experiences are all different. And those things change with every tide of every storm, of every wave, of every rain. Those things are always shifting and moving and changing. And so if that's the case, then how can I ever trust the foundation that I'm building my life and my beliefs on? Jesus said that the wise man builds his house on the rock. So when the rains came and the storms come, that the house will stand strong. And you and I need to build what we believe on the solid rock, the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And the very foundation of why we're even gathered here today is something that's called the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think a lot of times in church culture, we use a lot of verbiage and a lot of words that are real vague and are real broad terms. Just for example, we'll tell someone who may be confiding in us that they're struggling in a certain area of their life, and us as good Christian people will say something to the tune of this, Oh, brother, you just need to pray and trust God about that and seek His face, and in due time, He'll exalt you. What the heck did you just say, man? What does that even mean? I have no idea what you just said. You just said a lot of spiritual-sounding things that have absolutely no direction or nothing to them. But they sound spiritual and they sound right. And I think a lot of times in church we use words and verbiage that sound spiritual, it sounds nice, but we have no idea what we're talking about. And so for us to clarify and pinpoint what we believe, I believe that as a foundational piece of our belief, we need to understand how to articulate the gospel. And so if you're taking notes today, which I hope you are, write that title down, Articulate the Gospel. You can also follow along on version. You can just search for a live event in your area if you have your phone or your tablet or whatever. You can follow along uh, on there. Articulating the gospel is one of those things that I think is so valuable and vital for us as believers because a lot of us say gospel and it's shrouded in mystery. And it's so vague and broad, and I think we need to drill it down to really understand what the gospel is. Because if we're confronted with the gospel, it will change our life because the very word gospel means good news. 
But here's the deal with good news. For there to be good news, you and I have to realize there's something wrong. There has to be bad news first for there to be good news. Right? So what's bad about this world? What's bad about you and me in order for the gospel to be good news? Well, here's one of the most terrifying statements that I believe could be made. You ready for this? Terrifying statement is that God is good and He is right. That sounds good to me, Pastor Derek. Are you sure? Did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Did you drink something before you came here? No. God is good and He is right. You see, the problem with God being good and right is that you and I are not good or right. You see, you and I have a problem with God being so good... We, as people who sin, who fail, who fall, cannot be in the presence of a just and right and holy God. Now, God is good. God is just. God is holy. God is pure. Yes, God is love. And God is just. He is right. That's what makes Him good. If He violated that about Himself, He would no longer be a good and righteous God. He is also a good and righteous judge. And He judges mankind according to His standard of holiness, His standard of goodness. And when He judges mankind, He looks at us and He says, You guys have rejected my goodness. You haven't met up to the standard that I have put out there as holy, as good, as righteous. And we never could, no matter how hard we tried. Just think about how ungrateful we are as His creation. Think about the very breath that I'm using to speak to you right now. I couldn't do that if it weren't for God. The very air that we're breathing is a gift from God. The very fact that you and I are processing all this with the mind that was created to think and process that was given to us by God. You see, the power of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God is so high and so mighty and so immense that you and I have fallen short. The Bible says every one of us have fallen short of the glory, of the holiness, of the majesty, of the righteousness of God. Every one of us because we have sinned. Every one of us who was made after the image of in the likeness of Adam, the first man on the planet, has sinned and has violated God's holiness and God's righteousness. Jesus said it like this. He said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And that's right. Don't commit adultery. Don't go and sleep with somebody uh, who, is, who, who is married unless it's your own spouse. He said, but if you do that, that's adultery. But I say to you, that if you've ever looked on another person, if you've looked on a woman with lust in your heart, you might as well have done it because you've already committed the act in your heart. Whoa, I can't meet up to God's standard no matter how hard I try. I can't meet up to His holiness and righteousness because we were created for His glory. We were created for this holy God. But yet you and I fall short of His standard of holiness. Just think about how big and awesome God is. Think about how much He's blessed you and how much we take for granted. The very breath that He's given us and the fact that instead of worshiping Him with it, oftentimes we'll curse Him with it. The very breath that He gave us. How ungrateful, how, 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 how sinful mankind must be in their rebellion to a righteous and holy God. Think about the power of God. That when God decided to create the universe, maybe He had an angel there by His side. He said, hey, I'm going to create a universe. angel says, what's a universe? He says, universe. Oh, okay. And then God says, I'm going to fill that with planets. What's a planet? Planet. Because God spoke and created. God didn't create from raw material. God created raw material. You and I, our whole idea of creation is taking something that's already there and making something else out of it. You know, just like someone took lumber and decided to, you know, cut it into boards and make it into a podium or to make it into a home. We took raw material to create something. God created the raw material just by speaking it. So this is the power and the majesty of this holy God. And here you and I, His creation, have rejected Him by our sin. We've rejected Him. We've taken Him for granted. We've lied. We've stolen. We've abused His, his glory by trying to take it for ourselves. Man, so what then would a good and righteous and holy God do to people like us? Huh. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So 
rightly we deserve death. Think about it this way. Oh, but, but, but God is a God of love. That's right, he is. But he's also righteous and a just judge. And here's the thing about God's righteousness. Is that if he's judging the hearts of man and his wrath is being stored up towards mankind for their rejection of him, if he's a righteous judge, he's going to judge rightly and give us what we deserve. Think about a murderer. If a murderer is going before a judge and he thinks that that judge is corrupt, maybe the judge has mob ties, he can pay off the judge, he can get people to, you know, slip the judge, you know, a, 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 you know, a couple hundred grand, and maybe that judge will give him an easier sentence or maybe just give him a pass. Even though this guy's committed a murder, a heinous crime that deserves to be punished, the judge just kind of bends the rules for this guy. We would say that is a crooked judge. And that guy would feel very comfortable in that courtroom. Now, if the man who committed a murder was in the courtroom of a person of integrity who was a right judge, who judged according to the law and gave the man what he deserved, this guy would be shaking in his boots because he knew he was going to get what he deserved. He would be going, oh no, I'm in front of that judge that abides by the law and he shoots straight. This guy is going to put me in the prison. There's no way I can get out of this. You see, if that judge changed his character to bend the rules for that person, he would no longer be a right and pure judge. So if God bent the rules for you and I because of our sin, he would no longer be a righteous and holy God. He would be a crooked God. He would be a God that would say, Oh, I'll let you slide through. It's all good. And that's not how God is. He's righteous and he's holy and he cannot violate his attributes. So we're stuck in a conundrum here. What does a good and righteous God do with all of these people who have violated all of His laws and He stored up all of this wrath? What is He going to do with this wrath? Where is He going to aim this wrath? Because this wrath has to be satisfied in order for Him to be good and just. Otherwise, He's crooked and He's a liar. And He's no better than us. But He is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. So what does He do with us? Here's what He does. The wrath of God for mankind was satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me say that slow so I can say it some more because somebody ain't hearing me up in here. <laughs> Listen, the wrath of God for mankind was satisfied once and for all on the cross of Jesus Christ. That means even though we were haters of God, the Bible says we were enemies of God. Because we could not measure up to those standards, no matter how hard we tried. That He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son as a substitute for all of humanity. You see, it's now no longer I that lives, but it's now Christ who lives within me. He became my substitute. He became that spotless lamb. You remember how the priest would go in the Old Testament and they would sacrifice animals in order to uh, pay for the sins of the people once a year as a sin offering to offer that up. That was just a type and shadow of the perfect spotless lamb who once and for all paid the ultimate penalty for all of us, for you, for me, for all of our screw-ups, for all of our goof-ups, for all of our mess-ups, for all of our failures, all of our weaknesses, Jesus paid it all. And that is the gospel. That is the good news that you and I who deserve the wrath of God, that we can now have a way to be in right standing with a holy God once again. And it's not through our efforts. It's not through how good we can be. It's not all of a sudden, well, now I can try to be good. I get a do-over to do better. And if I do better, then he'll love me. No, you could do as good as you could ever try to do. But the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our, our trying to earn God's love and earn right standing with God is not going to work. The only way that we can ever have the love of God, the only way we can ever have the forgiveness of God, the only way we can ever be righteous in His eyes ever again is through Jesus Christ. That's it. It's all about Jesus from cover to cover. You look in the very book of Genesis, from the very beginning, God spoke about Jesus who was going to come on the scene and destroy the work of sin that leads to death. And now we have the gift of God, His grace 
that He's bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. You see, for the gospel to be good news, there first had to be bad news. And the good news is that God's holy. The bad news is we're not. The Bible says it like this in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, he says this, Romans 5 and verse 6, For while we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely will a righteous man, one will die for him. Maybe even a good man, somebody would maybe dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, through Jesus. For when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more have we been reconciled? We shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He's reconciled us back into right relationship with that holy God. That's what Jesus did. That's the good news of the gospel. You know, here's the thing. For us to receive the gospel as good news, we need to realize how badly we need Him. We have to realize we need Jesus. For the gospel to become good news, we've got to recognize we need it. If if we never realize that... God's good and holy, and we're not, then how will we ever come to the point in our lives where we realize we need Him? We need Him more than anything because apart from Him, we're dead, we have no hope, we have no future, and we just try to live this life going from pleasure to pleasure, from temporary satisfaction to temporary satisfaction, and there's no hope for humanity at all if Jesus is not alive today. There's no hope. We just all become worm food when it's all over with. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ died on the cross to absorb God's wrath for you and for me that was rightly deserved by you and me because we earned it. And now that He has given us this free gift, this free gift, we have to freely receive it. Jesus said, freely you've received, so freely give. We need to receive this gift freely. Just like if I bought my kids a Christmas present. And I told them, I said, enjoy this new bike you got for Christmas, buddy. But let me tell you something. Even though I gave you this gift, I'm going to need you to kind of pay me back for that. And I need you to shovel the driveway during the winter. And I need you to mow the yard. And, and then maybe if you do that for, you know, two or three years, maybe then you'll pay me back for that bike. If that were the case... My son would tell me, keep the bike, Dad. I want to go play. (laughs) Keep the bike. Because you see, you can't earn a gift. You can't pay for a gift. If you do, it no longer becomes a gift. It ceases in that moment to be a gift if you have to earn it. You can't earn right standing with God. You can't earn forgiveness. You can't be good enough to pay God back. That's Eastern Hinduism. That's, that's a religion that would say, you've done a lot of bad, so you need to offset that with doing a lot of good. So the more do, good you do, the more your karma will be better and increase. And that's a lie because all the bad and all the wrong we've done to violate the, the statutes of God, to violate His holiness, we could never offset it with enough good if we had 10, 20, 100 lifetimes. Because at our core, we've been rebellious towards His holiness and we've rejected Him. And so there had to be someone come and stand in our place to take the punishment that a righteous God had to give as he was pouring out his wrath on his son Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Your life and my life everlasting comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen, somebody. Not through finding your own way, not through doing good deeds, because our righteousness is like filthy rags. We can't earn it, then it ceases to be a gift. It's the grace of God that He has poured out and given to mankind freely. You see, I used to think this way early on in my Christianity, even early on in ministry. I used to think that I was somehow better 
than other people because of how good I had been. I would even try to classify myself as a better Christian than some other people. I remember that one of the big things that was real important to me that I thought made me better than other people was something that uh, my wife and I, before we were married, um, we remained pure. We remained virgins before we got married. And that was such a huge deal to us. And not that I'm belittling that at all. We, we should uh, remain pure and strive to be pure, but not in the way that we begin to classify ourselves and think of ourselves better than other people because of it. Hello, somebody. I used to think, man, I'm a really good Christian because I didn't have sex until I got married. I used to think, man, I, I'm, I'm better than all these other people. Man, they really need to, you know, get with the program. And here I was a youth pastor... And I remember preaching a message like this in my pride and in my self-righteousness and in my keeping to being a good person, earning me favor with God and earning me the status that I felt I deserved because of my good behavior, that I preached a message like this where my heart, I believe, was right to a certain degree to teach the young people in my youth group about purity, which is important to teach, and I'm not knocking that message at all, but the way I taught it was very self-righteous, and I, and I did it like this. I, I remember going into my youth group, and I had a package that was wrapped up, and I had a bow on it. I had a card with it, and I told my young people, I said, young people, guess what? This, this, this is the, the, the gift that you're going to give your spouse when you get married on your wedding night, and on the inside of this is your virginity. It's your purity that you're going to give that person. This is the only person that you're ever going to uh, have that enjoyment with in life that God has designed for us. And I began to preach about that and teach about that. I said, but when you start dating other people, you know, and you, you, you begin to hold hands and maybe kiss, you're getting a little affectionate, you know, you give away the card. You can never give that card to anyone else. That's, that's the only card you have. And, and even though it's meant for your spouse, you, you freely give it away to somebody else. And then I said, you get to, you, you, you go a little further. You start getting a little bit more physically involved, doing things you shouldn't do. And it's like you take the bow off of the package and you give the bow away. And now you still have the gift inside. You're still pure. You can still give that gift to your spouse, but, but, but it's not quite as nice as it once was. And then you start going a little further with other people that you're involved with or that you're dating before you get married. And, 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 and then you take the wrapping off. And here you've gotten very involved sexually with someone, uh, but, but you still haven't really gone all the way so the gift's still inside but you just got this brown box and then I would tell my young people and then some of you take it a step further and you go ahead and open the box and you give yourself completely away and then young people what you do on your wedding night you look at your new bride or your new husband and you say here's this old box and this is all I've saved for you and that's what I preached the problem with that message is that what I was telling those young people was that if you give yourself away, then when you get married, what you're giving to your spouse is nothing special. And I believe that my intentions were good in trying to teach young people purity. And the principles are all there and they're all right. But for me to bring in condemnation to make some young girl or young man who had fallen into temptation feel like they weren't special or worthy because they had fallen into this sin and somehow their marriage was forever tainted because they had been with someone else is a disservice to the forgiveness and grace of God. Because one of the things I said to those young people that night when I was preaching was, who would want this box? And I would dare to say, today, if I were preaching that same message and say, who wants this box? I would say, Jesus wants the box. Jesus wants the old crumpled up box that has given itself away. Because let me tell you something, even though I remained pure until I was married, I wasn't pure in other areas. Because all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. I had my issues. I just thought because I had done well in this area that I was better than other people. And a lot of people who are Christian people think they're better than other folks because they have accomplished things in their life. And it's wrong. Listen, apart from Jesus, we're all in the same boat. Apart from Jesus Christ, we're all in the same boat. And we're all destined for hell. 
That's the truth. It's hard. It stinks. It's no fun. But there is a way. There is a truth. There is a life. And His name is Jesus. And even though I may not have sinned in that certain way, surely I had looked at a woman and lusted in my heart because I was a teenage boy with raging hormones. And Jesus said, if I did that, I'd already committed adultery with that woman in my heart. So how dare me to try to make myself more self-righteous than other people and make people feel condemned and like they were a worthless box when we're all worthless boxes that Jesus just scoops up and says, I want all of these and I'm willing to die for them. I'm willing to take their punishment. That's the good news of the gospel. Not try harder to do better. The good news of the gospel is you have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. And you need a Savior and His name is Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. Is that apart from Jesus there is no hope. Because even if we stay away from this temptation or that temptation or this sin or that sin. We still need Jesus. I don't care if you are Mr. Rogers, perfectly moral, changing your shoes and your cardigan. I don't care if you're sending the trolley around the track and teaching people good things. I don't care if you're a humanitarian who's doing nice things for people in foreign countries and you're helping the homeless. I don't care if you have given away all of your fortune to other people and you decide to live under a bridge so other people could be blessed with what you had. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know Jack. If you don't know Jesus, you still are not right with God. Good deeds don't earn salvation. Because he said it like this in Ephesians 2. He said that this gift is not earned by works because if it were earned by works, then we could boast. We could say, look at what I've done or look at what I haven't done. Look at how good I've been. Oh boy, let me tell you something. I have been so good, I've definitely been better than all of you. And it produces self-righteousness, which is pride, which, guess what? God hates pride. God hates self-righteousness. Oh, man, I can't win. That's right, you can't win. Jesus won. And because of His victory, we share in that victory. We can now be called the sons and daughters of God because Jesus took our sin and our punishment that we deserved. We were the ones. It was our sin that drove the nails through His hands and His feet. It was our sin that pierced the side of Jesus, not just some Roman soldier named Bob. It was your sin. It was my sin. Amen? It wasn't, oh, that guy's going to get in a lot of trouble. He, he, he stabbed Jesus to make sure he was dead. No, that was my sin that did that. That was your sin that did that. And it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not good works that lead to salvation. You see, His goodness leads to true repentance. This is how we receive the gospel. Repentance means that we have a paradigm shift, that we, we, we change the way we think about salvation, and we stop looking at Christianity, and we stop looking at Christ as a form of fulfillment here on this earth that is going to make our lives more enhanced. You know, it's like we were living life, but when we got Jesus, we lived life 2.0. And that's how people look at Jesus. That's how people look at Christianity, as if Jesus is like the spice of life. And we add that spice to our life. And man, it just tastes so much better with a little Jesus spice. Let me tell you something, folks. Here's the thing. We've got to stop looking at our works as a means to salvation or looking at Jesus as just someone who gets us stuff that we think we need. When you're confronted with the truth that God is good, that we're bad, and we need His free gift of Jesus, and our good works can't save us. You want to know what that drives us to do? It drives us to cling to the cross of Christ. And we hang on to Jesus because He's all we need. I change my mind. I repent. I do a 180 in how I think regarding where my salvation comes from. We look for salvation as a form of fulfillment here on the earth to be kind of like this doorway to a better life. Will being a Christian make your life better here on earth? Maybe. 
It depends on whose standards you're living by. If you're measuring better life by the world standards, then ask someone who's meeting in a church in the basement of some secret location today for fear of their life just so they can share scripture together if following Jesus made their life better here on earth. Ask the Apostle Paul, who was once celebrated by those who, as he was persecuting Christians, they would high-five him all the time. Good job, Saul. You're killing those Christians. Get rid of them. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get rid of them, all right. Let me get on my horse, go to Damascus. Wham, gets knocked off on the horse. Jesus says, here I am. Who are you? Jesus says, I'm the guy you've been persecuting. He gets saved, confronted with the gospel. Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. Now Paul is hunted by the very people who used to celebrate him. Did that make his life better? Not really. Because he was beaten. He was tortured. For who? For Jesus. All he had to do is recant and say, I don't believe anymore. And if he would have done that, then they would have welcomed him right back and said, all right, let's get to that killing Christian thing again. But he was willing to give up his life. He was actually killed, martyred for his faith in Jesus. Just like Peter, who could have had a cushy life as a fisherman. He died upside down on a cross because of Jesus. He was willing to die for that. And so many countless people all throughout the ages willing to die for the cause of Christ. Why? Did Christ make their life better here on earth? No. We don't serve Christ because He makes our life better here on earth. We serve Christ because He's the only way to God. We believe in Jesus because He's the only way to God, not because He enhances our life. And gives us our best life on this earth. No, that's not the purpose of Christianity. That's not the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation is that we were dead in sin. We needed a Savior. His name is Jesus. Believe in Him and He'll make you right with God. Because He took your punishment that you deserved and I deserved. In our culture today, in church culture, we treat Jesus like He's the doorman that holds the door open to all these riches and goodness of God. And, 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 and it's like we high-five Jesus on the way through the door. Yeah! All right, Jesus, thanks for that dying for me on the cross thing. Now give me the good stuff. No, folks, if you open the door, Jesus is behind the door. Jesus is behind the door. Jesus is enough. Christ is enough. It's not about me serving God so I can somehow have a, a nice life here on earth. A kingdom-minded perspective would understand, yes, Christ does make my life better, because guess what? The worst thing you could do to me is kill me. If I'm kingdom-minded, I understand this life is a vapor, this life is temporary, and I don't fear death. Jesus said it like this. He said, don't fear the one who can kill the body but not kill the soul. Jesus said, don't fear man. Man can just kill the body. It's like they're giving you express route to heaven. Express lane, thanks a lot. Didn't need that head anyways. I'll get a new one. He'll sew it back on. It's like he did with the guy with the ear. I mean, come on. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body but not the soul. He said, but instead, fear the one who can both kill body and soul in eternal hell. That's who we need to fear. That's who we need to take seriously is God. Not man. We shouldn't be afraid of someone's opinion of us. We shouldn't be afraid of the pressure that culture and society would put on us to try to make us wimp out. No, we're going to stand for what we believe because we know what the gospel is and we believe it. And we believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And you know what? If it takes my life, it takes my life. We're, we have a luxury here in America that we don't have to worry about that quite as much as people in other countries in this day and in this time do. The reason it's such a big deal that Focus on the Family has an office in China is because the Chinese church is persecuted. The Chinese church is persecuted. These people are in prison. They're taken from their families. And you know that, that in Muslim countries that, that people are in prison, beheaded, killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Those people would say, my life here on this earth might have been great before Jesus but my life that's going to soar through eternity is wrapped up in Jesus. You see, it's a difference. It's a difference of understanding the purpose of, 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 of Jesus. You see, we treat Jesus sometimes 
as if he gets us good things that are going to satisfy us somehow. And this is what we're saying by doing that. We're saying, Jesus, you in and of yourself cannot satisfy me, so I need you to give me things or promotions or titles or money or houses or cars or, or people in my life that somehow satisfy me. And we think that Jesus gets us those things, and so we follow Jesus because, well, I heard a preacher say one time that if I follow Jesus, I'll get all these things, and I have to do A, B, and C, and I'll get stuff. As if God would somehow be so foolish in his method of blessing you that he would bless you in order to fulfill you with something other than Jesus, as if somehow Jesus is insufficient. Jesus is insufficient, so I guess i got to give you a car so you'll be satisfied. Dying for your sins, taking the wrath of God for all mankind wasn't enough, but here's a car. Hope you're happy. God doesn't bless you in order to satisfy you, and so to seek Him for blessings as seeking satisfaction is selfish, it's wrong, it dilutes the gospel, and it makes Jesus seem like no more than Santa Claus. And if we're only interested in a relationship with a father who loved us so much that instead of giving us what he deserved, that he would pour out his wrath on his perfect son in our stead, instead of wiping out mankind, that he would love us that much that we think that the whole purpose of that is just so we can get stuff? That's wrong. It waters down the gospel. If it's just for us to have a good life here on this earth, it waters down the gospel. If the, if the Bible is, is watered down and diluted to nothing more than a tool we use for self-help or behavior modification, we're watering down the power of the gospel. Amen? Because the only one who can change your heart is not Dr. Phil. It's not Oprah. It's Jesus. Amen? So I need to change my mind and how I think. I need to be willing to give up what I believe for the truth. You may have believed wrongly, but when you're confronted with what's true, are you going to be willing to give up what you believe for the truth? This culture thinks that you make up your own truth because they believe they're their own God. Because God establishes truth, and if I establish truth for myself, then I am my own God and I follow my own way. And so whatever I think is right, and who are you to tell me that my way is wrong? And that's the value system of our culture today. And they think that anyone who thinks differently is bigoted or, or, a, or a fundamentalist or is, you know, uh, foolish or ignorant, and Jesus just needs to catch up with the times, and the Bible needs to catch up with the times, and we allow culture and the feelings of people to outweigh and to dictate the truth. Instead of building our lives on something that's solid, something that's been around for a long time that has outlasted all other things that have been accepted as truth. And that's the Word of God. See, so I need to allow myself to repent and change the way I think. So when we look towards Jesus, we need to understand that He causes life change and He causes true satisfaction. You remember in John 4 and verse 13, maybe you remember this. There was a story about Jesus encountering this woman who came to a well. This lady was a Samaritan woman, and Jesus um, was from Nazareth. So here's this Jewish guy, and here's this, this Samaritan gal. And there, it was a cultural conflict at the time, and they weren't supposed to talk. And Jesus sees this Samaritan woman, and she's drawing from this well. In, uh, in, in, and as she's drawing up water, Jesus says, Hey, would you mind drawing me up some water? I'm thirsty. And she goes, you're a Jew. She could just tell immediately, no, 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 you're a Jew. I'm not, you're not, we're not even supposed to be talking. And he said, lady, he said, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, he said, you would ask me for a drink because the water that I give will make you never thirst again. In other words, what Jesus gives satisfies to where we'll never be thirsty again. But there's so many other wells in this world that we try to draw from in order to satisfy. The first well that we try to draw from is the well of ourselves. We try to draw from the well of ourselves and say, hey, I, I, I'm self-sufficient. I can, I can be satisfied in and of myself. And, and I think that the goal when I draw from that well of myself is a better version of me. 
All I got to do is just me 2.0 and get that better version of me, and then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll be complete. I need to get those, those rock-hard six-pack abs. Blam, blam, blam. Then I'm satisfied. Do some posing in the mirror. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'm satisfied now. You think that's going to last? No, it's temporary, just like the well in the water. The, the, the water you drink, you're going to get thirsty again. You eat some food, you're going to get hungry again. Some of y'all think about chicken legs right now. Oh, great. Now I'm thinking about chicken legs. I'm distracted. Because the last meal you ate wasn't satisfactory, just like drawing from the well of yourself. If you think the goal is a better version of you, so you think Christianity is boiled down to try harder to do better, earn favor, earn God's righteousness, earn God's love, you're not going to do it. It's a gift. You can't earn a gift, okay? The second well we try to draw from is from the well of others. We think that in order to be satisfied, instead of clinging to the cross of Christ, we look to other people to give us affirmation, to make us feel special, to make us feel significant, to make us feel warm and fuzzy. And that's what we think we have to have. If we don't have other people in our lives, we feel incomplete. We feel dissatisfied. As if somehow Christ was insufficient in and of himself to satisfy everything. If somehow Christ was incomplete. So I, I drink from the well of others. And so I surround myself with people who are celebrating me, high-fiving me, patting me on the back, making me feel warm and fuzzy. And I can never get enough. It's just a temporary high. And I come down off of that because it doesn't last. It doesn't last. Even if you're married, oh, when I get married, everything's going to be perfect. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be lovely. Oh, you complete me. You complete me. And then you're like, pick up your drawers off the floor. Put the toilet seat back down. Why did you spend so much money? And you begin to argue. You go, you're not completing with me, you know. Because even marriage is not going to satisfy you. And then people think, oh, we need to have kids. That'll satisfy me. Yeah, that will run dry too. It will not bring lasting satisfaction, okay? Sure, it brings temporary pleasure. Sure, it brings temporary satisfaction, but not lasting satisfaction, not lasting fulfillment, because we always are left longing when we drink from these wells. The other well we drink from is the well of the world. When I'm not looking to myself or I'm not looking to others, I'm looking to the world. I look to stuff. I look to promotions. Oh, if I have this job in this town and live in this kind of house, drive this kind of car, make this much money, then I've got it all. Oh, yeah. You ever watch one of those VH1 behind the music stories? Where those guys who are rock stars, who were nobody, who were nothing who were raised on the wrong side of the tracks, they got a record deal, they made all this money, they, and, and, and they're so unhappy. And they're left empty and longing and searching. And so they go looking for illicit relationships or they begin looking to drugs or they begin looking to stuff. And then they're on there going, man, I wasted my life. Because they were dipping from the cup and the well of the world for satisfaction. And if you're drawing from that well thinking that I have to experience this or do this or have this in order to be satisfied, it's not going to satisfy. It's all going to be temporary. Because the model of car you bought was cool until you saw next year's model. And they brought it out a lot quicker than they did last time. Or you get that car that you think no one else has, and then you see thousands of them. Did everybody go out and copy me? And now all of a sudden, I'm not happy anymore. Why? Because things were never meant to bring total satisfaction to you. Only Jesus Christ can bring total satisfaction, otherwise you're going to be spending the rest of your life longing. Even Christians who have experienced the goodness of God through Jesus Christ still search for these things in order to be satisfied because they forget their first love. Because they forget where true satisfaction comes from. Because they look to Jesus to get them things to make them happy when Jesus says, I'm all you need. The last well that we all dig from occasionally and draw from is the well of religion where we begin to look to our practices and our adherence to structure and law and and good things as a way to somehow 
put God in our debt so we'll feel righteous, so we'll feel satisfied. How on earth could anything you and I have to offer put God in our debt? I mean, think about it. If we do a good deed and we think all of a sudden God owes us and He's going to have to pay us back because we did something good, the only reason you were able to do something good is because He gave you the mind, the hands, and the ability to do it. And you are going to try to put Him in your debt? God, I went to church four, three times this month. I woke up twenty. I woke five minutes early, God, and I prayed. Set my alarm earlier, but I had to sleep because you know I'm tired. I opened up my Bible and I read something. I'm not sure what it meant, but I read it. And I know that because I read it and because I prayed and because I went to church, I was feeling extra generous that day and I dropped a little extra money in the offering for you. So God, what are you going to do for me? As if somehow God goes, oh, I owe you. I better pay you back, man. Good. Hang on just a second. Let me get my God-sized wallet out. What do you need? Need me to fix something? Man, your life's screwed up. Let me help you out here. I mean, come on. Is that how Jesus works? Is that how God operates? No. But we get this, this, this pious, prideful mindset that thinks we can put God in our debt as if somehow we could ever put the creator of the universe in our debt because somehow he's lacking something we can give him. Remember how powerful God is if, he's, if he were ever lacking anything, which he's not. He would just simply speak it and it would be. God's not lacking anything. God is not lacking anything. And so if we draw from the well of religion, we're always going to come up still thirsty and not satisfied. Really, the well of religion is just the first well, the well of ourselves. It just has a choir robot. That's really all it is. It's us saying we're good and a better version of me will put God in my debt. And it's wrong. And it won't get us anywhere. So here's the thing. Until we realize our rebellious, prideful state, we present a shallow gospel that isn't really the gospel. Because you never outgrow your need for the gospel. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how moral and how well you behave. You never get to a place in your walk with God where you stop needing Jesus because there's going to be good moral people who did nice things for others, but because they did not put their faith in Jesus Christ and they put their faith in themselves and they made themselves a God and they worshiped the idol of their good deeds and how nice they were and how good they were, they're, they're not going to make it to heaven. They're not. Because good deeds don't earn you passage into the presence of God. It's Jesus alone. Amen? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not for the good and the moral. Not for the people who clean their act up. No, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for you and for me. The good news of the gospel is that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The good news is that he absorbed the wrath of God that was meant for you and me as payment for the entire human race. We need Jesus. And in this day and time, we need to be able to articulate the gospel. So how do I receive the gospel? You get confronted with the truth, and you repent, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, not yourself. Not your good works. You recognize that good works are a fruit of a repentant heart. Oh, let me say that again. That your good works are the fruit of a repentant heart. Amen? Not the other way around. We try to do good works in order to change the heart. That's not how it works. Good works come out of a changed heart. That's when they're not PR stuff. When it's authentic and real is when it comes out of a repentant heart. We take the fruit of the Spirit and we try to make it a checklist. And we go, oh, fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, I'm good at that one. Really good at that one. Hmm, pride. Um, I'm good at that one too. My wife isn't good at that one at all, but I'm awesome at that one. And, you know, she, you know I might struggle a little bit with that one. So I can't really check that one off. Hang on just a second. Yeah, but I am really, really good at that one. It's not a checklist of good Christian behavior. It's fruit. 
You can't get down to a, a, a plant. Say strawberry. I like strawberries. You like strawberries? I like strawberries. You get down to a strawberry plant and you go, Grow strawberries in Jesus' name. I command you to grow. And then all of a sudden, boop, 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 boop. wow, that was amazing. It's incredible. You can't get down there and yell at a strawberry to grow. It's not going to work. Why is it going to grow? Because the roots are deep and because the soil is good and because it's receiving the things it needs in order to naturally produce the fruit of the strawberry. The strawberry would say, I'm not going to grow, buddy, when you tell me to grow. If strawberries hot, which they don't. Unless they were veggie tails, but then they would be called fruity tails. Fruit is a natural happening of the root system being good, of the soil being good, of the, of the, of the rain coming and the sun coming and, and giving that plant the nutrients that it needs, just like our lives are a result. Jesus said that a tree is known by its fruit. So the tree's either going to be good or the tree's going to be bad because a tree's going to be known by its fruit. So what kind of fruit are we producing reveals have we allowed the gospel to impact our hearts and how deeply have we allowed the gospel to impact our hearts. Have we, has it drawn us to a place of repentance? Because if it has, it's going to cause life change. And it will cause continual life change because we'll grow in deeper levels of repentance where we begin to really understand, wow, God is really good. I used to think he was good, but wow! And it will drive you to worship him naturally. You see, worship is a response. It's not something that we do, oh, I guess I want to worship God with my life. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for that. No, Jesus said that the time is coming, and even now is, when the Father is seeking worshipers who worship Him in spirit and in truth, where they worship Him in authenticity. Why? Because they understand how good He is and what He's done for them. Because they understand the gospel. And when you understand the gospel, worship's a natural response. It's a natural response. Fruit is a natural flow of receiving the goodness of the gospel. So let me tell you this. When you understand the gospel, the word of God becomes alive to you. You begin to see that this is really about Jesus from cover to cover. Even all the Old Testament, all it is doing is pointing to Jesus. It's not just giving us moral code and moral ethics. Every religion has moral code and moral ethics. What makes Christianity different is that it's all about Jesus, not about how good we can be. It's about His sacrifice, His grace. We should be so captivated by the gift of grace that the thought of working or earning salvation would turn our stomachs and we would consider that type of thinking and teaching blasphemous to the sacrifice of Jesus because we should be so enamored with His perfection that we would not dare to attempt to seek salvation or right standing with God through our ambition. But rather we would cling tightly to the cross of Jesus and we would grow in knowing Him more. Because when we continue to realize our need for the gospel, we continue to grow in grace, we deepen our repentance, we grow in our relationship with Jesus, it changes us and our life produces the fruit of knowing Him. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you know Him? And I don't mean do you know about Him. I don't mean have you been to church and have you bowed your head and said a prayer. I mean do you know Him? Because there is fruit of knowing Him in our lives. It's that repentant heart that's been confronted with the gospel that says, I thought I knew Jesus, but man, I really want Jesus and I really realize I need Him in this moment. Do you realize that? Do you know that? I want to ask you a question here today. Do you know Jesus? Have you been confronted with the gospel today, maybe for the very first time, and maybe you've been in church your entire life? Maybe you've been going to church and hearing stories, or, or you've been hearing a message of condemnation. Jesus said in Romans chapter 8 that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus did not come to condemn the world but to save the world by taking your punishment on himself. 
He did that for you. And maybe you're being confronted with that reality and your heart's being gripped right now for the very first time with that. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, that leads us to life change. It's His kindness. It's His goodness, not your goodness, His goodness. When we're confronted with our sin and we realize we need a Savior. That's what the whole purpose of the law in the Old Testament was given for. The Bible says in Romans 3 and 20, the purpose of the law was given to to be a mirror, to show us our sin, to show us our need for a Savior. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We never stop needing Him. And maybe in this moment you just realize, I need Jesus. What do I do about it, Pastor Derek? I'll tell you what to do about it. You need to acknowledge Him in front of others. By trusting in Him, by saying, I believe in Him, because Jesus said, if you acknowledge me in front of others, I'll acknowledge you in front of my Father. He said, but if you deny me in front of others, He said, then I'll deny you in front of my Father. That's His words. Those are harsh words. But He said, you need to boldly proclaim that you believe in Jesus and that He is the only way to the Father. He is the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes and says that we need to believe in our heart and we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus alone is Lord. Have you done that? Do you believe that? Maybe the Holy Spirit is working on your heart right now and gripping you and you feel like, man, I need to make a move right now. I need to respond to the gospel. And what I want you to do is I want you to let all of these people here know that you have made that decision by getting out of your seat right now and coming down to the front. If that's you and you say, I need to make that decision, don't wait, don't hesitate. With eyes open and heads up, I want you to make that move. I want you to make that move as a bold profession of your faith. If that's you in this place, I need to make that bold profession. Just come up here. And I want you to let folks know, yes, I have been gripped by the gospel. I have encountered the gospel, and I want to make a stand. I want to make a stand. Last service, we had two people come forward, and and, and they stood here boldly making that stand. Are, Are you one of those people? There are people up here now. Is there someone who says, I've been confronted with the goodness of God, and I've been confronted with my sin, and I need Jesus, and I want to let everybody else know I've been gripped by the gospel today. And I want to let everybody know that He's my Lord and He is my Savior. If that's you, I want you to make a move. I want you to make a move. Don't waste this opportunity say respond to the gospel now in this moment will you give these folks a hand for responding to the gospel people are responding to the gospel because we realize it's good news the power of the gospel leads to salvation it makes us right with god when we could never be right in and of ourselves Pastor Andy, Pastor Keith, Cassie, would you guys come up here? I want to have them uh, come and just pray with you guys. Thank you for making a stand. Thank you for making a bold statement today. Because it is the gospel that changes our lives. It is the gospel that changes our lives. I want you to stand up in this place today. You can still come forward if you want to come forward. If you've been wrestling with that, somebody here has been wrestling with this in their heart. They've been wrestling with this confrontation of the gospel. And you need to make a move. Make a move. I want you to make a move. And and you can still come. It's it's not like when the service is over, you can't make a bold profession. But right now, if God is gripping your heart and He's saying, you need to make a move, then you need to heed that voice, that scratching in your heart, that that thing that's almost pulling you out of your seat. That thing that's almost, and and you're you're, you're fidgety, and you're, you're, I don't know, I don't know if I need to make a move. That's the key. That's the signal that you need to make a move because that's God reaching out to you and working on your heart. And the Bible says we need to make that profession. These people have made that profession today where they are saying, yes, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you and nobody else. Even though the world may be against me, you are for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? That's the goodness of the gospel. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance to life change. Can we just thank him for a minute, church? Can you just tell him, thank you, Jesus, for life change. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and wrecking our hearts. Thank you for coming and wrecking our way we thought everything had to be, the way that we have valued everything, and the way that we, 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 we've thought contrary to your goodness and your grace. Oh, Lord, relationship with you is so much more than just a prayer. Relationship with you is so much more than just coming to church on a Sunday or on a weekend. God, we need you. We need the gospel. We need the cross. 
the cross where Jesus took our punishment, where he stood in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what only you could do in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Would you give God just another just awesome hand clap of praise for doing work in hearts of people and in your own life? And in your own life. Because he, 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 he's piercing the hearts of men and women. And he's wanting them to know that they know faith in Jesus. Faith in the gospel and the power of the gospel is the only way. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.